0: Please stand by, your program is about to begin. If you need assistance during your conference today, please press star zero. Good day everyone and welcome to today's paycheck, fourth quarter and fiscal year end earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen only mode. Later, you will have the opportunity to ask questions during the question and answer session. You may register to ask a question at any time by pressing star and one on your touchstone phone. You may withdraw yourself from the queue by pressing star two. Please note this call may be recorded. I will be standing by should you need any assistance. It is now my pleasure to turn the conference over to Mr. John Gibson, President and CEO. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us for our discussion of the Paychex fourth quarter and fiscal year 23 earnings release. Joining me today is Daphne Rivera, our Chief Financial Officer. This morning, before the market opened, we released our financial results for the fourth quarter and full fiscal year. Ended May 31st. You can access our earnings release on our investor relations website. Our Form of 10K will be filed with the SEC before the end of July. This teleconference is being broadcast over the internet and will be archived and available on our website for approximately 90 days. I'll start with uh, the call today uh, with an update on the business highlights for the fourth quarter and fiscal year we will review our financial results for fiscal 23 and our outlook for 24. We'll then open it up for your questions. We finished fiscal year 23 with solid financial results and momentum heading into fiscal year 2024. Total revenue grew 9% for the full year and we hit a major milestone for the company with over $5 billion in total revenue. I was personally reflecting on this last night when I joined the company we were just over two billion. It took us six years to go from two to three billion, three years to go to three to four, and it took us three years to go to four to five. But I remind everybody that was during the global pandemic. So uh, certainly, uh, very proud of, of those results. In addition to the revenue growth at nine percent, adjusted diluted earnings per share grew 13 percent to four dollars and 27 cents, and operating margins finished at 41 percent. As we continue to benefit from our continued investments in technology, our focus on driving digitalization in all aspects of our business, and our long standing tradition of operating excellence. These results are due to the hard work and dedication of our more than 16,000 employees. I'm very proud of what we've achieved this fiscal year. Our industry leading technology and advisory solutions have made a positive impact on our clients and their employees, and in return, They continue to reward us with additional business and their continued loyalty. Momentum in sales has continued with solid growth in new annualized revenue for both the fourth quarter and the full fiscal year. HR solutions and retirement were areas of particular strength with double-digit growth. We are well-positioned in terms of our staffing levels and rep tenure heading into the new year. Revenue retention finished the year near record levels as we continue to focus on retaining and increasing our share of wallet with our high-value customer segments. Client retention was impacted by higher losses due to out-of-business, concentrated mainly in newly formed businesses the last two years, and financial distress in the lower-revenue small clients. We continue to see strong demand for our HR outsourcing solutions with worksite employee growth over 10% year over year. Over the year, we achieved record level um, worksite employee retention due to our strong and unique value proposition of our leading HR technology and advisory capabilities. Businesses of all sizes continue to navigate the challenges of a very complicated regulatory environment a competitive labor market, and now tightening credit. Demand for our solutions remains strong due to the depth and breadth of our integrated offerings, including HR technology designed to deliver efficiency for both the employer and the employee, our comprehensive HR outsourcing, which leverages the strength of our technology and the experience of a trained HR professional and our outstanding compliance organization, and the need for businesses to offer quality benefits, including retirement, to compete for talent. Our retirement solutions are benefiting from the growing expectations of a retirement plan as a core benefit offering for small and mid-sized businesses. Recent passages, a passage of the SECURE Act 2.0 legislation and various state mandates requiring employers to provide retirement services to their employees are making 401Ks a key benefit for small and mid-sized businesses. With more state mandates expected to take effect in the future, we expect the strong market for retirement to continue for the foreseeable future, and we are well-positioned as a leader to take advantage of this opportunity. The SMB credit environment has continued to fuel demand for our employee retention tax credit service. Our full service ERTC offering has helped tens of thousands of businesses obtain tax credits and getting access to funds they need to keep their businesses running and growing. We continue to communicate this opportunity to existing clients and prospects. Industry recognition continues to reinforce the competitive strength of our technology solutions. For the fourth consecutive year, Paychex Flex earned an HR tech award for best small and mid-sized business focused Solutions in the core HR category. Our consistency in winning these awards and being placed repeatedly in the leadership quadrant of respected technology analyst rankings speaks to our market leadership in HR technology. I'm not only very proud of these results and the performance of the team, but I'm also also equally proud of how we achieve these results. We have been consistently recognized as one of the world's most admired, most ethical, and most innovative companies. In addition, we've been ranked as one of the best places to work for people in sales, for women, for diversity, and for our outstanding training and investment uh, in our employees' development. These awards are a testament to how our employees not only get the job done, but do it the right way and we are constantly looking for new ways we can make ourselves and our communities better. As we move into fiscal year 24, we will continue our focus on developing leading customer experiences that combine our technology, our advisory capabilities, and our partnerships to deliver superior value to our customers. Paychex is uniquely positioned to help small and mid-sized businesses navigate the challenges they face in a complex and ever-changing and evolving world. We remain committed to our purpose, and that is to help businesses succeed, and we'll continually strive to have a positive impact on our clients, our employees, our communities, and our shareholders. Now I'll turn it over to Efren, who will take you through our financial results for the fourth quarter and the
2: fiscal year, as well as our guidance for fiscal year 24. Efren. Thanks, John, and good morning to all of you. I hope you're indoors on this smoky... Thursday. I thought we were past it, but uh, but not quite. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone that today's commentary will contain forward-looking statements referred to the customary disclosures that we make. I'm gonna start by providing a summary of our fourth quarter financial results, uh, talk about full year results, and then finish with a review of our fiscal 2024 outlook. Uh, I Just before I start, I also wanted to, to add that uh, that joining us in the room today uh, this morning, Bob Schrader, EP of Finance and IR. Many of you have met Bob. Okay. For the fourth quarter, you saw total revenue increase seven percent to 1.2 billion. Management solutions revenue was up seven percent to nine, a little bit over 900 million, driven by additional product penetration. Uh, HR ancillary services, which uh, currently is mostly ERTC, and also price realization. We continue to see strong attachment of our HR solutions, retirement, and time and attendance uh, products. Demand for our ERTC service remains strong, as John mentioned, and it contributed approximately one to 2% to total revenue growth for the full year. Demand for this, this service, along with our internal execution have continued to exceed our expectations. While ERTC has been a tailwind and we expect demand to continue into fiscal year 24, it will become a moderate headwind next year, especially in the back half of the year where it will become more of a headwind. EO and insurance solutions revenue increased 5% to 300 million driven by higher revenue per client and growth in average worksite employees. The rate of growth was tempered a bit by lower medical plan sales and participant buyings along with continued preference for ASO in this environment. We expect these trends will start to normalize as we progress through fiscal 2024, though it won't be evident necessarily in uh, Q1. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Interest on funds held for clients increased 69% to 25 million primarily due to higher average interest rates partially offset by realized losses taken in Q4 as we reposition the portfolio heading into the back half of this year. Total expenses increased 3% to $776 million. Expense growth is largely attributable to higher headcount, wage rates, and general costs to support growth in the business. Operating income increased 15% to 453 million, with an operating margin of just under 37%, a 240 basis point expansion over the prior year period. Diluted earnings per share increased 18% to 97 cents per share, and adjusted diluted earnings per share increased 20% for the quarter to, again, 97 cents per share. Let me quickly summarize our full year results. Total revenue increased 9% to $5 billion. And total service revenue increased 8% to $4.9 billion. As you are all aware, we um, raised guidance uh, a number of times during the year. Management solutions increased 8% to $3.7 billion. PDO and insurance increased 6% to $1.2 billion. Total expenses were up 7% to $3 billion. Operating income increased 10% with a margin of 40.6%. John mentioned this earlier, that's a 70 basis point expansion over the prior year. Uh, The leverage in the model was pretty evident. Other income net increased by over 30 million due to higher average interest rates and average investment balances within the corporate investment portfolio. Diluted earnings per share increased 12% to $4.30 per share and adjusted diluted earnings per share increased 13% to $4.27 per share. Our financial position remains rock solid with cash, restricted cash and total corporate investments of more than $1.6 billion and total borrowings of approximately $808 million as of May 2023. Cash flow from operations was $1.7 billion for the fiscal year, an increase of 13% from the prior year. Driven by higher net income and changes in working capital, free cash flow generated for the year was $1.5 billion, 15% year over year. And while I, it's easy to gloss over those numbers, I think it's really important that when we, what to, to note that when we report numbers, the quality of our earnings and the quality of our cash is. Very, very strong, as noted by some of you. Uh, not only do we deliver on the top line, but we deliver in a quality way uh, on the bottom line, and we intend to continue to do that. We paid out a total of 1.2 billion in dividends during fiscal 2023, or 70% of our net income. Our 12-month rolling return on equity was a stellar 48%, with an arrow pointing up. Now. Let me turn to guidance for the upcoming fiscal year ending May 2024. Our current outlook as you saw is as follows. Management solutions expected to grow in the range of five to six percent. Theo and insurance solutions expected to grow in the range of six to nine percent. We widen that a bit just to accommodate the fact that sometimes attachment on insurance um, can vary from quarter to quarter and from year to year as we saw last year. Interest on funds held for clients is expected to be in the range of 135 to 145 million. Total revenue is expected to grow in the range of 6 to 7%. Operating income margin is expected to be in the range of 41 to 42%. Other income net is expected to be income in the range of 30 to 35 million, and then our effective income tax rate is expected to be in the range of 24 to 25%. Adjusted diluted earnings per share, expected to grow in the range of nine to 10%. This outlook assumes current macroeconomic environment, which as you know, has some uncertainty surrounding future interest interest rate changes in the economy. We have better visibility in the first half of fiscal 2024 as each quarter progresses. We have a little better visibility into the remaining quarters in the year. For the first half of fiscal 2024 and the first quarter, we expect total revenue growth to be approximately 6%. That's the first half and first quarter. We anticipate operating margins for the first quarter to be approximately 41%. I'll, I'll do a little bit on your modeling. And we expect PEO and insurance solutions revenue to be below the low end of the range for the first quarter. Then it'll be um, solidly in the range. That's our expectation at this point. Before you ask me the question, I'll answer. The first quarter was actually, <clears throat> the strongest quarter of the year uh, on, uh, on PEO last year and uh, as a consequence, the compare will be a little bit uh, tougher and we expect the business to build as we go through the year. Of course, all of this is subject to our current assumptions and they can change. We'll update you again on the first quarter call. There's a number of questions because it's of course Um, the the time when we give being on guidance. So if I could just ask for your forbearance on something, which is to say, ask a question and limit yourself to one follow-up. Now, I will say, I understand some of those questions will be compound questions. But if it's a five-part compound question, that violates (laughs) the rules. But but just so we can get through the call without going um, excessively long. Um, with all of that, I will refer you to our investor slides on our website for additional information, and I'll turn the call back over to John.
3: Okay.
2: So now,
1: with all the conditions and restrictions that Effort has laid out for you, we'll now open the call for
4: questions.
0: Thank you. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star and 1 on your Touchstone phone. You may remove yourself from the queue at any time by pressing star 2. Again, that is star one to ask a question. Our first question will come from Ramsey, LSE, with Barclays.
4: Hi, thanks so much for taking my question this morning. Um, Can you comment on the pricing environment? You called it out a little bit in the press release. And I guess the the question is, are, are you seeing sort of a window right now for more aggressive uh, pricing adjustments just given the inflationary environment? Or is this sort of, you know, are, are you feeling now that you're in sort of a steady steady state kind of continual, uh, you know, uh, trajectory when it comes to pricing?
1: Yeah, Ransom, yeah, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, I, I would say we're more in a, in a steady state. Um, I feel good about where we are. I think the value of our products and services, I think what we see when we talk about price inside our customer base they're rewarding us. Uh, they're seeing the value we're, we're getting. And the, as we did last year, we believe we have a pricing of, of, uh, power um, inside the base, and we'll continue to avail ourselves of that. And then in terms in, in, in new clients and prospects in the competitive environment, hey, we've always been in a competitive uh, market, and, and I see stable pricing. And I think as we go through this year, we'll continue to do what we need to do to be competitive in the marketplace. So I don't see any major shifts of of, of change on either side of the pricing equation.
4: Okay. And um, I wanted to ask also uh, about retention. Obviously, retention's at healthy record levels. At the same time, you called out uh, a little bit of where where you were seeing a a little bit of headwind. I think it was from out of business, uh, from newly formed businesses, and and, and I think there was some other uh, color that Ephraim provided. If you could just elaborate on that a little bit, I'd appreciate it.
1: Yeah, yeah Ramsey, I think we, this has been pretty consistent and I, I think on on all the prior calls I said probably as we expected. So we continue to really focus our efforts on uh, the high- end part of our, our valuable clients, particularly in the HR outsourcing there. We continue to maintain both in the PO and ASO um, record retention uh, from a revenue and client perspective there. Um, where we where we did see, And we had near-record retention overall across the business, again, because of that focus that we're having and the things we're doing uh, from driving value in our high-value customer segments. Um, As we expected, we did see some um, out-of-business. And when I pull that back, what you're seeing is exactly what I thought we'd see. We had a very high number of new business starts two years ago. And almost every model, and I don't care whether we're in a recession, good times or bad times, A business starts and in the first two years, about half of them are gone. Um, And and so I'm not surprised when we're saying we kind of expected that to be the case and and that's what we saw on on kind of the client retention side. But again, even if you look at the client retention side, we're we're back to where we were pre-pandemic levels. So nothing dramatic there. So I'd say that's more stabilizing and we kind of expect that kind of more typical, stable kind of client uh, attrition
4: uh, to occur as we're going into 24. Got it. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Our next question will come from Jason Kupferberg with Bank of America.
5: Hi, this is Eric Dre on for Jason. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, I had a question, just kind of high level. Um, you know, we've seen small businesses be really resilient. Kind of seems like the macro may avoid a, a hard landing. But curious about kind of trends you're seeing among different client groups. Um, you know, anything to call out, maybe blue collar versus white collar, any color you can add there?
1: Yeah, look, I I, I think, again, not seeing anything, Eric, that's out of the norm. Um, I think generally we've continued to see the hospitality. When you go back and look at the, our uh, jobs index, um, hospitality has probably been the laggard. and hospitality has been the laggard. Um, through the course of the recession, what we've seen there is they've really made a good, strong comeback. I would say in the um, in the back half of this fiscal year for us, and are, and, are, and are getting back to what I would kind of level employment levels of the other segments. Not really seeing anything um, specifically out of the ordinary. Certainly, in the low end of the market, you're seeing a lot more of the small companies. Goes back to what we said on the retention side: newer startups, smaller companies. Uh, finding more pressure relative to inability to pass price, and, and so they're being scores by inflation, um, and then also the credit, um, the, the credit situation.
5: Okay, great, thanks. And then on, on the, this one's for for Afrin, on the float guidance, um, kind of two parts. Well, what are you thinking about for interest rates, and then, you know, yeah. what are your thoughts on kind of managing duration? Um, I know the yeah. question comes up every call, but
6: thought i thought I'd ask. Yeah. Thanks.
2: Um, so what we're thinking, and then how we're managing, I'll, I'll break those two. And um, I, I mentioned in the previous quote that I, I was really concerned about a a sharp um, um, a sharp uh, decline in rates um, in the first half. So first half of '24, and the end of, um, of this year calendar year, I, I don't think that's likely to happen. So at this point our thinking is that there'll be a couple of rate increases as we go through the first half of the year and likely to see some rate decreases as we enter next year. Certainly um, Jerome Powell's comments recently um, would seem to indicate that's where we're going. But I, I think, uh, we think, our, our assumption is that in the, in the first half of calendar year 24, uh, our second half, you're gonna see rate decreases. So net-net, um, that's what's incorporated in, in, our, uh, in our guidance. So um, while um, we could adjust and play games in terms of where we are with futures, um, that that's what our thinking is, and as we get through the year, um, in the back half of the year, we'll we'll update kind of where we're at. So, um, as to positioning the portfolio, um, you know, my bias is to go long as we go go through the year, to um, to mitigate what what in uh, '24 is likely to be a set of rate decreases. I can't call it any closer than that. I think
3: that our, our numbers kind of support um, that kind of scenario.
0: Thank you. Our next question will come from Raina Kumar with UBS. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Can you talk about Hi, what booking was, um, hello, um can you talk a little bit about um bookings in the quarter? Anything to call out on different customer sizes and products where you're seeing strength or weaknesses?
1: yeah, so look we we actually saw strong demand um continuing you know I would say uh, actually the if you we actually saw some acceleration in the fourth quarter uh when you look at it. Um, and the back half of the fiscal year was actually stronger than the first half, which uh, um, it was, a, was a pleasant thing. HR services, um, the, our HR solutions continue to resonate a retirement. Um, we even saw a pickup in the low-end digital end of our business um, in, in the fourth quarter, um, which was nice to see. And in fact, um, I'd say the PO had improvement in Q4 as well. Which was, a, which was an encouraging sign that some of the changes and of approach that we've been working on um, are beginning to get uh, traction. Now It's early there, and the key part of that season is, is in the first quarter, which leads into the second quarter. Uh, but, uh, but, but again, very pleased with the strong demand uh, that we saw across the, the, the platform. So I think we've got a good set of products and services There's strong demand uh, in this environment across all the, all the market segments.
0: That is very helpful, and then just a quick, really quick follow-up to stay within a uh guidelines here. Um, could you call up the ERTC contribution just for the fourth quarter?
2: No, we didn't. We I, I think right now we're gonna stick with It's one, one to two percent uh, on growth for the full year, so, um, and then that converts from a tailwind into a headwind next year. That's, uh, that's as far as we'll go. Got
0: it, okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Our next question will come from Andrew Nicholas with William Blair.
7: Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. I was going to ask first on kind of M&A within within paychecks, Uh, if you could just kind of give us an update on your ambitions, both in the near term and medium term. Uh, This is definitely a compound question, but a preference between HCM and PEO and and anything you could say on on valuations.
1: Yeah, yeah, Andrew, thanks for the question. Our, our ambitions remain the same. Uh, we, we're trying to find uh, opportunities uh, to, to meet our strategic objectives and, and at the same time make sense uh, financially. Uh, the latter has been more challenging uh, in the environment, I would say, over the, over the past few years, but I think we certainly began to see some change in the market dynamics and, and our pipeline. Uh, you're beginning to expand with opportunities that I think are more realistic for us to con- consider. I-, I don't think our focus has really changed. We're going to continue to look for tuck-ins uh, that help us kind of add scale um, in new markets or expand our product suite. Um, we're looking for capability enhancements, um, you know, particularly in, in the digital area, digital capabilities, data, data analytics, uh, HR, uh, HR analytics. Um, and then, and, and again, we're constantly looking at numerous adjacencies as the market continues to evolve and looking for new growth platforms that are adjacent to our current suite of solutions um, and, and really help us continue to, to deliver that, that value proposition to small, medium-sized businesses to help them succeed. So again, small tuck-ins, capability enhancements, and new growth platforms, that's our areas of focus, and, and we're going to continue to. Um, be, be be mindful of, of making sure we're, we're getting good deals and
2: not as
7: the bank. That's helpful. Thank you. And then for my follow-up, I just wanted to ask on kind of the margin guide for next year. I think last quarter you you spoke to a preliminary target of 25 to 50 basis points. Um, I think, you know, the 41 to 42% range you you put out this morning is, is a decent bit higher um, at the midpoint. So if if you could just kind of unpack that a little bit, what what's changed in terms of your outlook, if, if anything, or if it's just a matter of, of rounded numbers, and that's totally fine as well, just trying to get a little bit more insight there. Thank you.
2: Um, yeah, I, I guess I'd answer that in a couple of ways. Um, look, uh, uh, March is preliminary, I meaning that we haven't gone through a plan. Um, I think that John's continued a tradition that, that we've had in the company, which is to say, uh, where can we find sources of leverage in the P&L? So obviously mix has an impact on that, Andrew, as you're aware, I mean, you have more PEO, you have less opportunity, you have more management solutions, that, that gives you more opportunity. But I would say we went through a pretty disciplined process in the, in the planning process to see where there were opportunities for leverage, uncovered them and uh, and and uh, and that uh, that's what what you're seeing in the guidance. I'd say one other thing that's really important. Um, the process of planning a year is a 365 day um, activity. As uh, we get through the first quarter as we go through, we see opportunities both on the investment side and also and also on the cost side, we go for it. And we challenge ourselves to find those opportunities. So, um, I think that in addition to the fact that that was a byproduct that we not byproduct but a team of the planning process, uh, we think in those terms and so um, uh, because you have to go into the year with multiple levers uh, to find leverage if you need it. So we're, as we speak, thinking about, okay, how can we even uh, do better or uh, offset any, any potential? Uh, issues that might come up in the year. So uh, it's that. There's a little bit of rounding, a little bit of planning, uh, and a little bit of DNA.
7: Perfect.
6: Thank you. Yep.
0: Thank you. Our next question will come from Kevin McVeigh with Credit Suisse.
6: Great, thanks. I'll just have one to make up some time. Hey, (coughs) Efren. Hey. (coughs) Pardon me. You talked a little bit about, I think, kind of revenue retention versus client retention and, and revenue retention being at all-time high despite kind of, I think, a little shift in client. Can you help us frame what the delta is there, kind of what it is today and, and kind of where that's been historically? And I'd imagine it's probably narrowed over time, but is there any way to frame that a little bit more?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, look, when it it it, it was approaching the mid-'80s, during the pandemic but that really is in some ways kind of an outlier Um, when we reported last year which is kind of like one year post the the the, uh, midpoint of the the pandemic I'm sorry again the midpoint of the pandemic we were between 83 and 84 and uh, and this year we're between 82 and 83. So as John mentioned um, we uh, we saw some um, larger losses uh, on the low end of the market. Uh, I'll frame that in, in, in one second. Um, that 82 to 83 is consistent with where we've been in prior years, there's nothing unusual about that. What was unusual during the pandemic was that the number of bankruptcies or what we call involuntary losses was much lower than it normally has been. Uh, and there's obvious reasons, I don't need to tell everyone in the on the call about PPT. So a lot of those, those clients kind of um, uh, got through the, the client phase to John's point. What was going on was that you had a, a pent up group of very small clients that were being propped up a bit by, by funding, in some ways the losses were higher because of that. Uh, and uh, and I think we're now back to a more normalized environment in terms of losses. But I want to I want to make an important point, and John referenced it. We put a lot of emphasis on revenue retention, especially among high value clients. And what's not different, or what what is different from the pandemic, is that our revenue retention is higher than it was pre pandemic. So we're at we're at. Uh, record retention levels from revenue. That's where we put our. That's where we put a lot of our focus on. And I can, you know, I, I won't do it, but we could cite many, many efforts that uh, that go into uh, retaining our, our our highest clients, so we can deliver, you know, approximately 88% revenue retention. That's important. That's an important number for us. Uh, and so, while in the past we talk a lot about unit retention, nothing wrong with that. You want that. The reality is that what's becoming, become much more important is that you save and you retain your highest value clients. Uh, and so uh, while, on the, on, while our, our unit retention is in line with what it was pre pandemic, our revenue retention was higher and it has remained higher and will be an area of focus going forward. Yeah, Kevin. The thing I would add to that,
1: I want to remind everybody, is you know, I go back and we go back and look at this over the last you know four to five years. Um, when when we say pre-pandemic levels, you know, you go back to 19. If you read our transcript, what you would also hear in 19 is that on a client retention, we were aligned. We actually had historical high client retention back in 19 as well. So we we are returning on the client side to levels that historically for paychecks would have been historical highs in terms of client retention. And then as Ephraim pointed out, we've had a lot of focus on what we need to do um, to drive better retention in our high-value segments, and we've been very successful to do that. And And I think coming out of the pandemic, the value that we've demonstrated to those clients in terms of both our technology enhancements as well as the advisory support that we've given them uh, through very challenging times, I think they've they, they rewarded us. They've rewarded us uh, by buying more from us. They've rewarded us by um, giving us the opportunity to have a better pricing um, for those products and services because they see the value, uh, and they've rewarded us with their loyalty.
6: Very helpful.
0: Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Our next question will come from Brian Bergen with TD Cowan.
8: Hey, guys. Good morning. Thank you. I wanted to dig into management solutions here a bit more and, and maybe some of the underlying growth driver assumptions for 24. Yep. When we look here, you know, just this year, the, in 23, you see total company client growth of yep. like a point and a half in 23, and you're citing yep. increased product penetration and price realization. Can you kind of roll that forward for us here? Can you give us a sense on how you're thinking about the pieces here across the client growth versus, you know, pricing versus product attachment?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I would say, Brian, the two things: is is that that you know we we have said that typical client growth in a year is going to be in the one to three percent range. We're on the low end of that range. We expect to be middle or higher um, next year. So that's part of uh, the equation on the pricing side. We're typically in the two to four percent range, although in recent years higher than than that. We're 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 on the mid to maybe perhaps a little bit uh, higher than mid level on the on the pricing uh, side. Those are sort of the basic elements, and then you got mix and uh, additional product penetration driving uh, driving the remainder of that. Now, if you start reconciling me, I got I got to take the negatives too, and the negative is I'm I'm going to get some headwind from the which you will see in on the management solution side. So that that. When you when you triangulate all those pieces, that's where you get to our five to six percent growth um, growth.
8: Okay. H- how about client employment there? So, and I guess specifically in four Q, oh, okay. how did it Pretty come to three Q, question. and yeah. then for for twenty four as well?
2: Uh, sorry, I I started talking over your palette, Brian. You, you you were saying three Q yeah, no and then Q four. What what were you saying there?
8: yeah so when as you think about client employment, I'm curious about how you're factoring that for twenty four yeah. but also I, yeah. I think you guys were assuming four q was going to be relatively flattish from three q did that yeah. play out, or was that different too?
2: yeah, yeah, that played out and and going into next year, we expect it to be flattish you know I, I i will say that i mean you know you always have to have an element of caution um, on on the impact of of um, higher rates i mean um, they their levels there so that would cause me to get a little bit more concerned than I am right now. So we'll have to play that out, and that that definitely would have an impact on on uh, on worksite employee growth. I, I think I think it's manageable, and we we've taken that into account in our plan. But at this point, we're not expecting that uh, that is going to um, change uh, as we go on into next year.
8: Okay, makes sense. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks. Thank you. Our next question will come from Brian King with Deutsche Bank.
8: Hi guys, good morning.
6: Um, hi, how are you doing? Sorry, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on the, on the client growth question. Yeah. It sounds like you expect it to go up a little bit, you know, higher yeah. than it was. It was on the low end of the range and then it'll go up. Is that a function of what you're seeing in, in the sales channel or is that a little bit of, of retention just yeah. given that maybe some of the smaller clients that churned off during the pandemic, you won't have that same issue as you go into this year?
2: Yeah, Brian, so two to, to, to answers to that is, um, and John didn't mention this because we generally don't, don't go into this level of detail, but we saw a pretty strong unit growth as we in the back half of the year. so um, so it wasn't a sales driven issue. It was really more of a retention driven issue based on the factors that we we talked about. Um, we talked about um, uh, earlier in the call i e um, just to go one level deeper we, we we all remember that one of the anomalies in the um, in the pandemic was that the business starts really, really um, accelerated, and um, I think to this day, few people can completely explain it. And so we benefited from that that unit growth. But, but as John said, we know a, n- a number of those clients are going to go out of out of business. And after two years, we did the analysis that we all looked at, and a lot of those clients um, uh, did not uh, did not survive once the uh, the PTP. Uh, and other government stimulus uh, went out of business. So, um, I'm sorry. Uh, once that uh, that stimulus um, was gone, so I, that's primarily driver, somewhat of an um, anomalous situation. I think that we'll we'll return to more traditional patterns as we get into next year. That's our expectation. Got it.
6: And and the guidance looks pretty consistent. Um, you know, as you look at the revenue and the margins you're not you're not wildly off from the first half to the second half, and sometimes there's there's bigger changes there any uh, any kind of key macro factors that you watch that we should be watching that could move it up or down um, that that could change at least maybe as we get into the second half as we think about the macro yeah and i,
2: I mean, I'll let John talk about it too but but you know what I'd say Brian is look um. Everyone on the call was worried about a crash landing as we moved to 23. And look, I mean, there was skepticism in the market as to whether we were going to be able to hit our numbers. I remember those conversations with investors, and I assured them of one thing that continues to be the 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 factor that or the uh, the environment that we're seeing now, which we're not seeing dramatic changes in the environment and we would start to see them and, and exercise the appropriate level of caution if we did. So um, we're, gonna, we're gonna look at what, what's the impact of these interest rates at this point. Um, uh, small businesses seem to be absorbing them. Um, they, they seem to be getting what they need to be able to, uh, to fund their businesses. We don't think that will last forever. There are rates at which um, it's going kind to of prove to be difficult. Um, I, I would say what's happening on the macro is, is really important. The internal stuff we can manage that. We we will manage that. And I've said uh, to many people that look, if we have to pivot inside the base, there's a lot of opportunity inside the base. We'll pivot inside the base if the external environment doesn't give us opportunities for growth. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I think the other thing that I think
1: keep in mind a little bit about the macro. Again, we'll go back to the macro side. I look at our small business index. I look at the start of this calendar year. We went, the first three month, months, the index actually went up every every month. Uh, so it went up for three consecutive months and then it sort of stabilized. Um, so we continue to, continue to see that. Um, as, as Efren said, we probably expected in the first, fourth quarter and we're always kind of sitting here waiting for, um, you know, employment to go down and, and it didn't. So, actually, I would say I was actually a little pleasantly surprised at where we were on checks and where we were on worksite employee growth inside the base of clients that we had. So, um, continuing to see that hiring is also an issue and staffing is continues to be an issue of our HR concerns. So, we look at what are the questions and issues that are coming into our HR. Um, uh, consultants, we continue to see that to be an issue. And, and I do think you're going to see something interesting here that we've probably not seen. Small and mid-sized business owners are scarred by their experience of employment over the last several years, and they fought to get back to staffing levels. And I think what's going to be interesting is, is, is they're going to be very hesitant to let go, because I think they remember what it was like trying to find talent, and, the, and they're just simply not enough labor supply here. So I think it's going to be very interesting who kind of wins this tug of war uh, back and forth relative to employment. The other thing that we see is we're seeing a lot of non-traditional labor being tapped uh, by businesses, gig workers, contract workers, maybe a little bit more part-time. And What, I, what I'm curious about to see, are, will those be the first things to go? Um, that before a small business owner is going to let go of permanent staffing that they've got that they're paying every week, are they gonna try to ride it out by tightening in other areas such as this non-traditional gig employment that's kind of sprung up. So um, the labor market is a very, very interesting uh, uh, thing I think for us to look at and study right now and I don't think it sets up for traditional recessionary models um, that people have built. So that's just my, you know, pontification based upon my conversations with what we're hearing from clients and what we see in our in our
8: in our in our data. Super
0: helpful. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question will come from Scott Words of Wolf Research.
8: Hey, good morning, guys, and uh, thanks for taking my question. Just right. on um, the expense side, I wanted to uh, see if you guys can just go over maybe what some of your top investment priorities are over the next 12 months, and sort of folding into that. Yeah, you're thinking about incorporating generator AI into uh, your business as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, so uh, investments are in, in growth, in growth. Um, <laughs> those are uh, pr- probably the top two. And then uh, you mentioned uh, digital. I mean, we've been making a lot of investments um, in, in the digital um, the area, both in terms of our sales and what we're doing from a go-to-market perspective. Um, which we're very happy with and how we're leveraging, um, uh, technology, AI in the back office. And I'm very pleased with, with several things that we've got, we've got going on. So we've been actively leveraging AI for several years across every area of the business. Um, driving efficiency, uh, delivering a lot of our large client. And one of the things I keep telling people is, you know, we're one of the few players in this industry that has the size of data set that we have. And I do think in these type of uh, in AI, you've got to have a large data set. We're using it in customer ser- service. We're using it in risk. We're using it in finance. We're using it in our HR outsourcing advisory capacity. We're building it into our products and our retention insights products. So um, there's a lot of investment that we're making and a lot of learnings that we have in terms of how we can digitize the, the front office and the, the front of house and kind of the back office um, of our business. And so those, that's going to be an area that we continue to invest and continue to explore.
8: Got it. That's very helpful. Um, and then, Efren, just a quick clarification on the float income side with the guidance. So, I'm yeah. wondering if you could you know, maybe help us out with how you're thinking about client balance for the year. Uh, client balance
2: growth, um, roughly in line with uh, with wage inflation, which is to say, low of the business.
8: Great, thanks, guys.
0: Thank you. Our next question will come from Kartik Mehta with North Coast Research.
3: Hey, good morning. Uh, hey,
2: Carl, hey, I'm, hey, are you uh, are you battling smoke there in Cleveland
3: too? You know, yesterday was a lot worse than it is today. Uh, so it's a little bit better today. But thank you for asking, Efren. Uh,
1: you said our way,
3: We'll do so. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering, j- just on pays for control, uh, Efren, I know they've come down, obviously, from pretty high levels. And I'm wondering if uh, what your expectations are for FY24, not only yes. for the payroll business, but also the PEO, and if you're seeing anything different.
2: Yeah, uh, two good questions. Um, so flattish, um, I guess, is the is the uh, is the short answer to what we expect for twenty four. Don't expect uh, too much um, uh, in terms of in client base growth, um, and that's a mix. Uh, I think I think our larger clients are doing fine, and and in some cases adding uh, employees. We look at it. Uh, smaller smaller clients, um, less so, and then you gotta factor in um, what your anticipated losses are. So you always tend to lose a little bit higher than what you, you gain in a given year, and then you expect your in client, uh, your, the clients in the base to uh, to grow the works I employed. But this is an environment where I don't think it's gonna be robust in terms of um, hiring in part because of what John said earlier, which is that uh, that um, many businesses would like to hire but just simply aren't the people uh, who were there, who are available and also they figured out how to do it uh, without uh, people. But they probably will be, as John mentioned, less inclined to, uh, to perhaps get rid of them. On the, on the uh, PEO um, and, and, and I'd say also the ASO side, uh, our our worksite employee, we had worksite employee growth um, this year. We expect that to continue into next year. You could see um, uh, solid worksite employee growth as the as the uh, CEO rebounds going into next year. But overall, and I think that uh, that Brian asked this question, it's not going to be a significant driver of, of revenue growth. Uh, as perhaps in CEO, but but not not uh, on the HCM side.
3: And then just one follow-up, John. I'd be interested in your thoughts on kind of job openings. You know, we see all these numbers, jolts, numbers, but it seems like uh, employee employers have become cautious. So, just your perspective on what you really think job openings are as you look at your customers versus maybe what we see um, in the news.
1: Yeah, correct. I, I go back to what I said before. we continue to have clients that are wanting to fill open positions um, and and i don't i've not that, not seen that change. I would say that they're being more successful in in filling and filling those positions, so we've certainly seen that and we've seen some recovery. I mentioned leisure hospitality in particular, which was well behind and had good recovery in in the back half of our fiscal year here um, I do think relative to they're not maybe opening up as many positions, I would also tell you that um, one of the things that I think did happen is when we were in the, the great resignation, which was probably 18 months ago, uh, seems like forever now, but really only 18 months ago, uh, pretty much a lot of business owners were thinking every position I have needs to be posted because I've got to assume that I'm going to potentially lose those positions. So I think there was a lot of postings for jobs that people were passively um, looking for. Um, and I think some of the contraction that we've seen in the postings are more of uh, business owners being a little more disciplined about what am I actually going to hire and and being out in the market and focused on that. I don't know if that makes sense or helps you.
3: Yeah, it does. Uh, thank you both, I really appreciate it. Yep,
1: you're welcome. I, I may add that those individuals that are using our uh, onboarding and recruiting uh, experience in Flex are uh, realizing about a 20% improvement in their time to hire. So just if there's any customers or prospects on the phone.
0: Thank you. Our next question will come from Eugene Sumini with Moppet Nathanson.
8: Thank you.
9: Hi, uh, guys. You Good morning. Um wanted to ask a question about the P.O. So uh, kind of uh, we expected the uh, kind of the deceleration here. Uh, and you highlighted again uh, insurance, healthcare insurance attached rates as one of the drivers. So I was wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on uh, on that, kind of where are you seeing softness in healthcare insurance attached? What kind of businesses? I think that would be helpful to hear just because, uh, you know, there's so much variability about uh, around, uh, I feel like, the PO industry in terms of this healthcare insurance rate attached. And it would be helpful to hear specifically in your client base what you're seeing, and then you know re- related to that, as we are looking for the reacceleration in the PO, and as you kind of guiding to that, what gives you confidence that um, this uh, there will be a pivot there uh, over the next twelve months? Um, hey uh, Eugene, let,
2: let me start, and then 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 John um, uh, will um, provide. Additional comments. Um, With us, it's less about verticals, although I'll I'll caveat that in a second. It's really more, more about um, where we derive revenue on the healthcare side that flows through the P&L, and that's the state of Florida. So, for us, on the PEO healthcare, as it relates to revenue really it's a Florida game, primarily. And the anomaly, and, and when you talk about Florida, you, you know immediately that you're gonna over-index on leisure and hospitality, so, um, yeah. so a bit a bit of what's going on is, is it depends on what new clients coming into the base are and whether uh, customers in leisure and hospitality are really interested in, in offering um, health care to the clients. Now a number of them do. Uh, And that's not all clients in Florida, to be fair. That's probably too much of a generalization. But it it was more of a regional issue than it was, I'd say, um, uh, as it it, it affected revenue uh, than it was uh, something else. So um, why do we feel more comfortable? Uh, Because we have put a tremendous amount of focus on it, and, uh, and that's not to say that guarantees success, but I would say as we saw what was going on, we took a lot of measures uh, to prove that that aren't gonna necessarily, again, be evident in the first quarter, but should be evident, uh, evident uh, beyond that, um, and there were things in which we talked about in prior calls that I won't repeat, that were somewhat anomalous um, that we saw people actually uh, in the PEO, uh decided they didn't want health care insurance. We thought our, our hypothesis was that they were feeling some pressure from a
5: wage perspective and perhaps decided that, um, and that from a total compensation
2: perspective, they, they, they uh, were not going to offer uh, health care. But we, we, we've taken a number of actions that we think will, will create um, better momentum going into next year. I'll, I'll let John. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that issue. Yeah, no, I, I, not much to add, Eugene. I,
1: I do think it's important to understand on the insurance component. There was there was a there was a trend that we saw happen not just in the field but also in our insurance agency um, in the health and benefits area, which is it's not it's not just the client. There, there's two decision points here. One is the client deciding they're going to offer benefits. And second is an employee deciding they're gonna enroll and pay, pay their fair share. And we saw in both cases um, that, that clients, particularly clients, less clients were adding an insurance. That's one part of it, right? You should, certainly can go and try to get someone to switch from their existing insurance carrier, but we saw less people adding insur- health insurance as an option. And then when you look inside, when we went through our normal enrollment period, we found that less of the employees that were offered insurance, insurance elected to, um, uh, uh, you know, sign up for it. Um, and so all the things that Jeff said, we saw that happen, happen in both areas. That caused us to go back, and what you can do is you can go back and look at your plan designs. You can look at um, leaner plans. You can look at different plans, all of those things. We went through an exhaustive review of every one of our core PO markets. Um, to look at every one of our plan designs to look at every one of our offerings to make sure we have the broadest suite. Now, those decisions are made. We're actively out in the market selling clients on those today. Those will go in in the July timeframe, if you will. And remember, our enrollment for PO um, begins in that July timeframe and really goes through the January timeframe. So you won't see kind of that pickup of that going on. So we've we look looked at every aspect of it. We've made some modifications and changes where we think it makes sense. Um, we know that the, the HR outsourcing value proposition is still strong because it's growing at 10% and we saw you know, strong demand in the second half of the year. Um, we know that the PO value proposition is strong because of our record retention and the clients that can't afford it and, and have it are, are doing well. So you know, we have reason to believe there were some early signs, as I said earlier, in the fourth quarter um, of improvement uh, there, and now we're getting into the heart of it, and, and we'll see that, that, that kind of build um, as we go into the, the second, third, and fourth quarter um, of, of this coming uh, fiscal year. So, um, you know, again, we, got, we, we, we feel confident that we have the right plans in place, and now we'll go out and execute that in the marketplace and, and, and see how it goes.
9: Got it. Super helpful. And then quick follow up on some of the comments you made earlier on um, retention bookings and client growth to tie it all together. So when we're thinking about your guidance for next fiscal year, and Afrin, you mentioned that you expect client growth to pick up from the kind of one and a half percent level with so this year, would that be a result of both improved retention and improved sales, or is it primarily one or the other that will drive the improvement in client growth?
2: No, you got to do both. You got to do both. Okay. I mean, um, over over relying on one. Yeah, uh, long story short, both of the, both sides of that equation have pretty powerful incentives to make sure that that they occur uh you not always hit, hit it hundred percent sometimes you hit it more um but, yeah. but you gotta you gotta you gotta get the both sides to, to both sides to work to get uh, the right net client gaining number yeah uh, it, it, right
1: yeah, I'm gonna, and i and, and i'll add i on to that and again i would say you know, the second half um was stronger than the first half from a sales unit perspective. And if you dig under our retention numbers, first half to second half, our controllable losses improved in the second half. So so again, what we can control, and I do believe that there's a degree of what I call flushing out of of the bankruptcies from two years ago um, in, in terms of us looking at clients that are kind of on the financial edge and whether or not you know we, we want to continue to, or so feel confident we can continue to do business uh, with them, those type of things are kind of flushed, uh, out, you know, out of the system. We've been investing a lot in what we can do to control what we can control, regardless of the environment. We talked about AI. We we've been deploying a lot of very sophisticated AI models inside our service organization and inside our client base that are giving us very strong indications of where we may have a client at risk and we're demonstrating success and demonstrate success in the back half of the year of being able to intercept those and turn those situations into positive retention stories. So, you know, when I look at the retention story and the sales uh, story uh, first half, back half of last fiscal year, um, I feel good about the, the progress we're making there.
0: Got it.
9: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Our next question will come from Peter Christensen with Citigroup.
6: Thank you. Good morning. Uh, thanks for your question. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, good. Uh, Ever, I, I was curious about the portfolio repositioning, and, and mm-hmm. uh, I know it wasn't too large, but should sure. we expect, I guess, future maybe uh, uh, operating outperformance to be reinvested for – portfolio repositioning maybe layering to rates uh, uh, faster and then and then as, as a as a follow-up to that maybe looking at prior cycles is there a relationship between interest rates and competitive pricing I would imagine this floating income becomes more a bigger part of the business model that gives more leeway for competitors to be more aggressive on the pricing side any comments there would be helpful thank you those
2: are two absolutely fantastic questions. Literally, I mean, wow. Okay, um, so let me take one. Um, you know, part part of what you do and part of what you work with the, the team is to understand what you need to deliver and understand what your degrees of freedom in delivering them are. When you when you perform at a certain level, you have more degrees of freedom. Not surprising. So to all my colleagues, CFOs out there who Struggle sometimes because they don't have the degrees of freedom. Um, I, I, I feel you. Um, when, when you, when you do have the opportunity to reposition because performance gives you that option, you look at it and you figure out. You know, we're pretty disciplined here. Is the NPV of doing that better than the NPV of not doing that? And so. Uh, in the fourth quarter, we thought there was a positive NPV uh, to that that approach. Would we do it in the future? I'd have to see. There's there's other other uh, issues that come into play, which is how much. What, what do you want your max duration uh, to be? And uh, and um, um, are, are you picking the right time? You never get you never get get it right uh, because you're trying to. Predict other behaviors, but, but I think that we we've, we've done a, a good job. To your to your point, this is really kind of the interesting question that we're wrestling with. Is so um, we don't know. I, I, I can I can give you I can give you a sense of what happens when interest rates get to six percent. Um, I, know, um, I know because I studied that pretty extensively when I came into the job now 12 years ago, and, and two things you, you gotta worry about or be concerned about there. Number one is that um, you can attempt to be pretty aggressive on pricing um, in that kind of environment. So if interest rates are, are high, you can take it as a signal the price high. But what I what I find, at least in our history, was when you did that, when you get got overly aggressive in pricing, in know, seven 8 A, you're going to pay a price on retention. It just is. It follows. Um, and at least that's a conviction that I have. Now, maybe you leave some money on the table um, by not pricing even more aggressively, but I think that there's a balancing act that there for clients because you're trying to uh, you're trying to Create a level of trust in terms of the value that you deliver to them, and there is a tipping point at which that level of trust gets breached. So, so we we need to look at that closely. The second part is, as interest rates are now creeping up, uh, if they if they were to go over six percent, now now that uh, that starts to become a a threshold where. Um, it becomes a, more difficult for small businesses and many medium sized businesses um, to, to operate from a financing perspective. They gotta look for other options. That's one thing, by the way, that we look, we're looking at very closely. How do we ca- help clients? ERTC was a great example of how we did that this year. That's why we think uh, it did so well within the base, but you gotta, you gotta play those two elements uh, off, uh, off each other in determining what to price um, and uh, and how to help your clients navigate to an environment where, where interest rates are high. So hopefully that, that answers your, your question.
6: Yeah, it certainly does. The balance, uh, yeah, that's, that's certainly a challenge I, I'd imagine. I don't envy you. But thanks for the insight. Very helpful. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Tinson Wing with J.P. Morgan.
10: Hi. Right, thanks. Good morning, John, Efren, and Bob. Just want to ask on BO uh, again. The, I know it's growing in line with peers in the quarter. Here, you're looking for some acceleration. You, you talked through that with Eugene. How much of the acceleration, again, just to simplify it, is coming from volume versus rate versus mix? Just want to make sure I understand the the components. Well, um, I, I'll take
2: that tangent. So, um, look, I I, I, I want to. Kind of clarify something to start, which is that we had work site employee growth in the PEO. Um, it, uh, it it's not as though we, we contracted in that area. Um, we think we're off to a pretty strong start, actually, uh, in in terms of at least our um, our, our bookings activity. Um, but we we expect relative to last year. Uh, for healthcare attachment to be higher than it was, um, the contribution from healthcare attachment to be higher than it was last year. Uh, we just couldn't have hit the numbers that we hit um, last year if we had also seen uh, simultaneously that, that, uh, that um, the base business admin was going down, it would have been very difficult, and challenging. So we expect, um, we expect growth in the business, growth in clients, is that growth and attachment that's it's really kind of driving the mix uh, less so just, I, I think that's less of an issue um, typically just to remind everyone our, you know, our PEO clients are, are typically upper 20s and low 30s in terms of, of uh, clients we're not we're not trying to go downstream necessarily um, but um, but it, it's really going to come from uh, more clients better are LG attachment and we're, we're just really not expecting
1: any type of major pricing increases either on the health side or on the general administrative fee side. I mean, it's going to be well within our normal, normal course, I, although I would, I would mention that on the healthcare side, our normal course is in the, you know, uh, single digits, uh, which uh, far beats uh, on a historical basis what healthcare inflation is. So that's a benefit and a retention benefit for our clients. The other thing I probably, we haven't talked about that we have a thesis around, um, is, is that we had very good HR outsourcing growth. And, and one of the things that we saw because of the insurance anomaly uh, was a tilt towards our ASO product. Um, and So when you look on, on the aggregate, we had a very, very solid year. Our HR outsourcing offerings, ASO and the managed service side and, 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 and uh, PEO, uh, but we tilted towards one versus the other. We're actually, we actually, I look at that now and say, well, wait a minute, I, I now have more clients that love our technology, love our HR, and now it's just a matter of finding the right healthcare solution and going back and upselling them uh, into the POS. So we have a pretty uh, concentrated effort on that. Um, actually, that's another area where we're using AI, where we are actually um, analyzing the deduction fees from, existing payroll and ASO customers so that we can triangulate what we think they are currently paying for healthcare and then using the demographic data that we have to do um, AI-based underwriting to give us a, 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 a computer-based targeted list of clients that we can approach with a, a really almost prepackaged value proposition that says, hey, we think we can um, help you save money on, on your insurance. Um, if you uh, if you uh, join our PO, you're already a, a ASO client of ours. So um, you know, we're just getting. We, we've been working on that model for nine months as part of our, our efforts, and, and that's an area too that we think there's opportunity inside our base to go back um, with our new insurance value proposition in the PO and um, see if we can't move some clients over.
10: Good, and that's the beauty of Paychex having both ASO and, and PEO. So I guess as my follow up. Okay. Any change in your appetite on the whole self-insured versus the fully guaranteed PEO model to the extent that you can better maybe control the insurance packages? And, and I know everyone's probably thinking, I'm trying to trick you guys to answer the consolidation question, but I'll ask it too. So, right, appetite to do acquisitions on the PEO side. I know it's been, what, five years since you did Oasis. Uh, you said tuck-ins, but I know there's been some news in the market around around consolidation. So I know that probably is a multi-part question, so I'm on the bad that guy. <laughs> no, no, no. just get anyway. You
2: thank you. You get out yeah. uh, Hey, let me answer, let, let me answer the the first one. Um, I get that question, and I, I think investors are sensitive to the the level of balance sheet the uh, yes. the, uh the risk. Uh, so when we we originally did this a number of years ago, I said uh, I don't want to be reporting quarters where we blew up the balance sheet because we were doing the wrong things on the insurance side. I, I would I, wrong things. Well that's a very poor words. what I mean by that is just taking excessive risk so uh, everyone knows what they get when they 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 invest in the company. we have managed that without any hiccup because two things help us. one is that even though we go at risk we we don't make money, we make very little money on health care insurance, and that removes the incentive to uh, to necessarily um, um, push insurance, cheap insurance is a way of selling PDO. That's a fool's game, we don't play it, we'll never play it. Having said that, as as we get to a certain density in markets, and, and many of the people on the call know what the, the big markets are, we look at that, we evaluate whether uh, a um, uh, going at risk in insurance in a market would make sense. I won't forestall that we would not, but it would be subject to the same very tight Criteria and the other part is that the reason for doing it would would not be necessarily to increase revenue, but but for us to capture share in that market. So um, nothing imminent, but but that's our our thought process. I think we've got a bit of a, a track record in terms of managing it um, uh, in 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 an appropriate way. I'll let John talk to PEO uh, PEO and M&A. Yeah, I,
1: just just to add to that, um, I, I don't I don't think that our current approach uh, to insurance in the PO uh, was a driver to to what we saw last year, um, and so I don't think taking more risk is necessarily the solution. Um, I think that our current approach has demonstrated that we can grow at industry rates without uh, exposing ourselves to additional risk, and so. Uh, to Ephraim's point, I, I don't see that as a magic a magic bullet. I don't, I don't think you need that to grow the PO value proposition. To Ephraim's point, to the degree in which we thought it could accelerate um, growth in some way and, and the risk could be balanced, something to consider but not something that, that we're looking at. I mean, I think in terms of um, the PO m front, we haven't done much in five years. Uh, it's obviously a very attractive industry for private equity to pay very high multiples for which, um, uh, for, for my opinion, not much uh, uh, capability. Um, you know, when we made the acquisition of Oasis, um, we were looking at both getting significant scale in the PO and capability. We got that with Oasis. Um, you know, we, we were typically a smaller, you know, kind of regional PO, not, and, and we knew we needed some national scale to get there. We're now, you know, the top player uh, in the industry, so you know, I think what we would be looking for is tuck-ins in markets where that makes sense. Um, if we were going to add a capability, um, right? But you know, a capability in terms of something different in the PO—that's that's interesting. But um, you know, again, you know, what I continue to see is when we're we're involved in and in know about almost every deal in the industry. I still think the multiples are a little high for what they would bring value, and we have enough organic and inside-the-base um, opportunity for us to continue to invest our dollars in. Awesome.
10: Thanks for the complete answer. I promised just yep. one question. Thank you. Thanks,
0: guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from James Posit with Morgan Stanley.
11: Hey, good morning. Just uh, a hey. couple of quick follow up sure. Hey, thanks. Just a, a couple of quick follow ups for me um, on the out of business commentary. I understand kind of um, kind of the, the conditions there where you maybe were below normal, especially during the, the height of the pandemic and, and that's normalizing. I'm just wondering if right now you would characterize that out of business run rate as, as being more elevated still or is it kind of come back more into to line with what you would expect to be kind of normal?
1: it it it's that it's back to normal and, and again I I go back to say it's back to normal pre-pandemic 19 which again were at reasonably historically you know you know low levels um uh, for us uh, if you went back historically before that so you know look I, there was a there was a big surge in new business starts right at the start of the pandemic um and we knew in our models whether or not there was recession whether or not the interest rates were one percent or six percent. Those businesses, a, a fair number of them, were not going to survive after two years, and so we didn't know when it was going to come. But I think we knew it was going to come. I think we've seen that begin to flush through. We've kind of returned back to what I would say are more you know normal business start levels. And again, business starts are still reasonably solid. It's, we're not seeing a dip in business starts. Again, we there was a big spike. We're now back to where we were kind of pre-pandemic which, again, were very, very solid um, and and conducive um, uh, numbers for for growth in our business before the pandemic.
11: Yep, yep. No, that makes sense. appreciate that. And then just a a quick um, question, make sure that we're thinking about business sensitivities correctly. If we were to see macro deteriorate further, which of the underlying verticals, whether it be payroll, ACM software, retirement, ASO management solutions would be hit hardest versus what would be most resilient. I I think we have some ideas there, but I just want to make sure we're thinking about that correctly.
2: Yeah, I'd say, so, you know, you you got two points of comparison, kind of what happened in 2007 and then what happened during the pandemic. What we saw during the pandemic was that uh, on the PEO side, PEO, our base at least, a PEO uh, clients shed uh, employees more quickly. It was, I was surprised by the speed with which they did it. I think you'd see more of an impact there on the, on the PEO if you saw more of a sharp downturn. Uh, and, and, and a garden variety, uh, softness, probably not. Um, and then second, um, James, you um, and we'll see, but, but if, if we go back certainly to the pandemic, you saw you saw, uh, you saw uh, employers start to um, shed clients um, shed employees, I should say, shed employees. Uh, interestingly enough, what was a little bit anomalous during the pandemic is we didn't see huge client losses. But, but we did see them drop employees. And so then um, then um, you see that impact. I'd remind everyone that. Our model is not a pure PEPIM model, it's subscription plus people. Plus, um, and so we have some insulation in the event that there's a downturn and overall employment levels fall. And finally, last caveat, we do have the ability to, to pivot in the base, which we did during the pandemic, which helped to to, uh, to mitigate the impact of, of what was going on in the economy
1: as a whole. Yeah, and I, and I would probably say we're actually more effective in terms of both our capabilities analytically to be able to target inside the base, our capabilities from the sales and marketing and digital perspective inside the base, um, than we were in any of the in, in, in the prior downturn. I mean, and we just have gotten very, very um, effective in, in driving product penetration and identifying opportunities within our client base where we
6: can add additional
11: value with a, a pretty broad set of, of products and services. That's great. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark McCone with Baird.
11: Hey, Mark. This is Andre Childress on for
8: Mark. Thank you for taking our questions.
11: Um, yeah. So ahead. I'll just leave it at one Um Retirement Solutions continues to see strong gro- growth and clearly has some nice tailwinds. Um, can you talk about some of the measures you are taking to capitalize on the opportunity provided by both the SECURE Act as well as state mandates?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, as you know, we're, we're a leader in small and mid-sized businesses in terms of, of the number of plans. We, we manage more retirement plans than any other company. Uh, For the 12th trade year, we we actually have prepared and supported businesses, more businesses than any other provider. Um, So, we are actively already educating our existing customers um, and have a variety of uh, digital marketing um, uh, programs in the market. I think you'll continue to see uh, more aggressive uh, positioning of paychecks in the 401 k we're looking at how it can play a bigger role in our bundles um, and, and all of our payroll bundles as well because again, what we're finding is given both the state mandate coupled with the Secure the secure Act 2.0 where literally, if you're a company of 20 employees and we're working on trying to make some changes to that legislation that actually drop it down even lower than that, we can start up a 401 plan and basically at no cost to you and you can then provide up to a thousand dollars of match to your employees and get that money back as well. So when you this is like one of those DRTC moments where our value proposition of well, what we can go to a, a small business owner and say, you can have a valuable benefit that's going to help you retain your employees, help you attract employees, and really for it's not going to cost you anything uh, to get it started. Um, we think there's a there's a powerful value proposition and, and like I said we're already the largest um, we already know how to do this. We already um, have the sales and marketing capabilities and the, and the operational capabilities to, to do this in a very efficient and effective way, and so we're going to continue to capitalize uh, uh, on this as we go into the fiscal year. Great. Thank you for the color.
0: Thank you. Okay, Our thank final you. question will come from Samad Samana with Jeffries.
11: Uh,
3: great.
5: Thanks for... Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for squeezing me in. Um, So I just wanted to ask on maybe your own sales organization. Can you help us think through just between the last couple of years being strong and then us entering, let's say, a slightly different environment, maybe looking forward, um, how maybe the sales organization performed versus quota in fiscal 23, and maybe what assumptions around quota you're thinking for fiscal 24 in terms of quota increases for your sales organization?
1: Well, as as I said, we were very pleased with the record-setting year that we had in sales execution. Um, It really was a stellar year from a sales performance perspective. My hat's off to the entire team. Um, And as I said, the back half was stronger than the front half. And and given that momentum we have coming out of there, the investments we made in the fourth quarter in terms of um, marketing, Also a lot of work on what I would say is go-to-market support for our sales teams, the things we're doing relative to uh, sales training and sales effectiveness tools that we invested in the fourth uh, quarter, given the momentum we've seen, um, our sales team has readily and happily accepted higher quotas for fiscal
5: year 24. (laughs) appreciate that. Everett, I'd love to ask you another PEO follow-up question, but I'll just save that for Go ahead. No, I'll give you one. (laughs) I'm I'm joking. I'm going to give you that one question. You guys have a great day. (laughs) Be safe. Have a great four. Thanks.
0: Thank you. There are no additional questions at this time. We'd like to now turn it back to our presenters for any closing remarks.
1: Okay. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for – for being with us today. I know probably many of you are, are starting ahead or are headed or about to head to uh, the 4th of July weekend. I hope you have a great time uh, with your family. I um, want to thank you for uh, your questions and, and support. Uh, you know, I, I want to reflect uh, again on uh, this past fiscal year, um, certainly a transition year for me, uh, and, you know, coming in uh, into my new position as CEO. Um, an absolutely phenomenal year for the company. The employees did a great job navigating a very complex uh, uh, fiscal year, and for the company to achieve that five billion dollar milestone is really uh, a testament to their hard work. And to and to do it at the speed we did it during the global, uh, uh, you know, pandemic is something to say. I was reflecting last night as I was looking back over the last five years results across the board, and I go back and anchor myself, to fiscal year 19, um, uh, which is hard to remember, that was before the pandemic, and I looked at our fourth quarter, and I looked at our full year um, statistics, And, and when you go down there and see we had better revenue growth, better profit growth, better retention metrics, better HR outsourcing metrics, better new sales revenue, better new sales unit rates of growth. In the fourth quarter of this past fiscal year and the full year than we had in fiscal year 19, um, we not only weathered the pandemic, but I think we actually came out of the pandemic in a stronger position across the board. And I just want to thank the 16,000 employees at Paychex uh, for making that happen and uh, hope you all have a very nice uh, 4th of July weekend. Thank you very much. Have a great day.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's presentation. You may now disconnect.